The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here are your top five at five. Stocks trying to reverse last week's losses after a notable performance we haven't seen since September. Elon Musk polls his Twitter followers asking if he should step down as CEO. Those results are supposed to come in in fewer than 20 minutes. Back to the U.S. Sam Bankman-Fried reportedly waiving his rights to fight U.S. extradition from the Bahamas. Plus, China's COVID crisis puts an entire country on edge. Medical suppliers and hospitals stretch to the limit. Later, it's Merger Monday as one defense contractor gets set to shell out nearly $5 billion. This is Monday, December 19th, 2022. You're watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. And good morning, everyone. I'm Contessa Brewer in for Brian Sullivan this morning. Let's kick this hour off with a check on U.S. stock futures after a mostly lower session Friday. This saw the major averages post their first back-to-back losing weeks in September. Futures right now, as you can see, green across the board. The S&P 500 indicated to open up eight points. The Dow Jones Industrials up uh, for a 63-point implied open higher, and the Nasdaq Uh, The implied open up 28 points. Checking the bond market now, the 10-year yield remains well off its highs that it hit back in in, uh, October. Right now, you're seeing the two-year T-note up 4%, the yield on the 10-year up 3.5%. In uh, energy, oil coming off its worst day since December 7th, WTI this morning up 8 tenths of a percent, and you're seeing Brent up 8 tenths of a percent as well. And in crypto this morning, all eyes, of course, on Sam Bankman-Fried and FTX. We are seeing Bitcoin just basically flat right now, uh, but in the red. All right, let's get a check on overnight action in Asia and the early trade in Europe. And Arabile Gumede is standing by in our London newsroom. Arabile? Yeah, uh, Contessa, good morning to you. So certainly markets have been digesting kind of the news from last week's interest rate decisions coming out then of the European Central Bank, the Bank of England, as well as the Swiss National Bank, who all decided to hike rates by 50 basis points with an assertion then that more interest rate hikes are on the way. So markets still trying to mull that in and get a sense of where exactly things uh, may be beginning to go. For now, we're getting a sense of positivity, trying to rebound off those negative uh, tilts we saw off last week, perhaps a position setting uh, somewhat as well. Let's remember that January, February and March, that first quarter is going to be quite critical when it comes uh, to those interest rates decisions. And all those central banks have noted that they will be doing more to fight inflation. The fight against inflation is not over, even though that mark has certainly tilted just a little bit lower. Taking a look at the gainers and losers board as well, you kind of see the sense that all of the counters have really moved in a positive territory. That is moving outside of just a media which has gone down there uh, around a tenth of a percent, but generally across the board moving a whole lot higher with travel and leisure going up uh, nearly nine tenths of a percent. Let's remember that oil and gas was a big loser as well then last week, but managing to go up two and a third of 
several percent. So perhaps a slight rebound when it comes to that picture there as well. So for now, market certainly on the up. Whether that continues to be the case across what would perhaps be a weakened trading picture across the week will be interesting to note. Back to you, Contessa. We will be watching our ability. Thank you for that. Let's get to some of this morning's top stories now. Savannah Hanau joins us. Savannah, good morning to you. Contessa, good Monday morning. Well, it's been a roller coaster ride, but it could near its end in less than 20 minutes. Elon Musk, late last night, tweeting to his more than 122 million followers, asking if he should step down as the head of Twitter. And with more than 14 million votes already cast, results so far say yes, he should. Now, Musk adding he has no successor in mind if he steps down, saying no one wants the job who can actually keep Twitter alive. Meanwhile, China is caught in the grip of a major COVID-19 outbreak, one that is leading to widespread shortages of medical supplies and exposing what some are describing as Beijing's lack of preparation following its zero-COVID policy rollback. Residents in cities from Shanghai to Shenzhen reporting pharmacies are sold out of fever medicine and COVID tests, while others post to social media photos and videos of lines outside COVID clinics and otherwise empty city streets. And L3 Harris Technologies is buying Aerojet rocket Dyne for $4.7 billion. Aerojet is the last independent domestic maker of missile propulsion systems. The deal comes after Lockheed Martin pulled out of its own $4.4 billion bid for Aerojet after federal antitrust regulators sued in January to block it, Contessa. All right, Savannah Hanau, we'll see you in a little bit. Thank you. Back on Wall Street now, the major averages posting back-to-back weekly losses for the first time since late September. Investors, of course, heard more hawkish talk from the Fed, and that sets expectations for interest rates to remain higher for longer. Taking a look uh, again at the, uh, I want to look at the 10-year once again in the yield on the 10-year, which now sits at 3.524%. Let's bring in Rick Pitcairn, who's the chief investment officer at Pitcairn. Rick, good to talk to you this morning. Can you talk a little bit about what the markets are expecting heading into this, what we normally think of as a slower week before Christmas? But of course, a few years ago, we saw a big Christmas Eve plummet. Where do we stand now in, in these uh, last few trading days of the year? Well, good morning, Contessa. I think the equity markets were looking for a Christmas rally, and I think Jay Powell sort of brought him a level coal last week. I don't think markets will move a whole lot uh, in this slower two weeks, but I think you know the longer-term investors just need to focus on the interplay of where we are with the economy, where we are with rates, and what that's going to mean for equity investors as we roll into 2023. And, and, and- with right now the expectation or or the amount of attention that we're paying to, is it going to be a harder landing than we thought? Are the companies now pulling back on their scenarios for optimism in 2023? Could we be bracing for some belt tightening for some time to come? How does that uh, influence the advice you're giving investors? Well, I don't think we really know how that economy is going to play out. You know, the, the long-term effects of COVID are still with us from an economic perspective. We pushed a lot of money into the economy. We had that inflation. It's been clear to us for a while that the Powell Fed is going to err on the side of caution. They're going to stay tighter for longer and take a look at the data. Now, that data could become more deflationary more quickly, in which case they might pivot for the right reason, which is the data shows them to. They they really uh, rhetorically showed no sign to do that. So, 
you know, our investors, for the most part, are very strategic and very long-term in nature. They're multi-gen families. And, and I believe that they're trying to take this in context, not try to focus on day-to-day moves, but understand how this market's going to be different uh, than it was three years ago when we come out of this, say, late 2023. You know, it's interesting because your investors might be among those that I, I saw listed in the Wall Street Journal today saying that um, that you have individual investors who are piling into the market. The inflows have been higher than they have been for a long time from individual investors. And yet we're seeing hedge funds, mutual funds trimming their positions a bit. Uh, so when you have individual investors coming to you saying, look, this might be a great buying opportunity. Where are you telling them to focus their money? Well, I think our individual investors are a little bit more institution-like. You know, you do see a lot of the retail investor flow that I think is acting like, you know, pretty quickly this is going to be over and pretty quickly the FANG days of 2018 are going to be back with us. And we're advising that that's just not going to happen. We think that, you know, we've had a great 10 years for for risk markets, for equity markets, for uh, that that big tech trade. And when we come out of this, we don't buy into the disaster scenario that everything's going to be terrible, but it's going to be a different market. It's going to be a more value oriented market. Diverse portfolios with different kinds of asset classes are going to do well. And our investors, by, by and large, are following that advice. All right. You're recommending healthcare staples and energy in this environment. Rick, thank you very much for your time. Appreciate that. Thank you, Contessa. Have a good day. When we come back, more on Elon Musk's possible resignation as chief twit and all the implications surrounding it. Ten minutes to go. Plus, Sam Bankman-Fried waiving his rights to fight U.S. extradition from his adopted Bahamian home. And later, James Cameron's Avatar epic sequel coming up short. What happened with Way of the Water? A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Go spread the word. When you get a fresh, hot McCrispie from McDonald's and you can feel the heat coming through the bag, don't try to wait till you get home. Always respect hot chicken. The McCrispie, only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back. A major development in the Bahamas around former FTX CEO Sam Bankman-Fried. Following last week's arrest, CNBC tech reporter Mackenzie Sagalos joins us this morning. Mackenzie, good morning. What have you learned? Hey, good morning, Contessa. That's right. At 9 a.m. Eastern time today, we are expecting to see Sam Bankman-Fried back in a court in the Bahamian capital where he's due to waive his extradition rights, essentially paving the way for federal authorities to secure his return to the U.S. That's according to a source close to the matter who spoke to me this weekend. Now, even though the U.S. has an extradition treaty with the Bahamas, In practice, the process can take months, if not years, to complete because the person who's been accused of a crime has numerous chances to appeal. So Bankman-Fried's change of heart here is a really big deal because it could significantly expedite next steps, including moving up the timeline for his federal trial. Okay, so Mackenzie, why has he done this, it seems like a total about face, (laughs) on not fighting extradition? 
Yeah, so Contessa, one former federal prosecutor tells me it could be that his lawyers told him that extradition is highly likely and there wasn't much of a point in fighting it. Bankman Free tried a couple times last week to get out on bail. That was not working, so he would have had to wait this out from a correctional facility in the Bahamas. The other big question here, did he cut a deal with the feds? And I'm hearing that, that that's probably unlikely at this stage, unless it was for something relatively minor like early discovery or conditions of release like bond. The more likely scenario could be that he's actually looking to demand a speedy trial and test an indictment that looks like it was rushed since it would be tough for the Department of Justice to be ready for trial that quickly. Uh, okay, so are the Bahamians going to let him go to the United <laughs> States without putting up their own fight? Yeah, so the Bahamians have been angling for control over the bankruptcy proceedings and some $256 million worth of real estate owned by FTX in the Bahamas. And on the face of it, having SPF in the Bahamas does at least present the illusion of leverage. But from what I hear, it's unlikely that the government there will actually block Bankman Freed's extradition. A lawyer familiar with these types of cases says the DOJ likely wouldn't have charged him in the first place unless they already had conversations with the Bahamian government in advance and felt comfortable that they would cooperate. So it's expected the Bahamas will let the U.S. take the lead and not overplay their hand here. But a source close to the matter tells me that everything is moving really quickly for Bankman Freed and things are still subject to change. So we'll see how this plays out in the next few hours, Contessa. Mackenzie, I'm wondering whether there is a diplomatic problem looming here in that um, it's been reported that the Bahamian officials have been able to access some of the money for creditors ahead of U.S. officials. And so there's this whole I mean, if you've got the current CEO looking for the assets to pay creditors and to work within bankruptcy proceedings and the Bahamians have already taken control of some of it. Is there a diplomatic problem looming? I think there is definitely a question as to some of the transfers of crypto tokens that happened right at the beginning of the bankruptcy process. You know, initially it was the Bahamians who had advanced access to withdraw their funds from the platform due to local laws there. There were also questions of hundreds of millions of dollars worth of crypto uh, that was seized at an early date. So I think that those are all of the things that the U.S. Uh, bankruptcy court is going to be paying attention to as they sort through their finances and where money went in those last few weeks, especially, you know, even thinking to the $5 billion worth of withdrawals that happened before the platform closed. There's a question as to whether there could be clawbacks there as they look to restore uh, you know, the bankruptcy estate and, and yeah. put as much together as they can. Mackenzie, thank you so much for the good reporting. Appreciate that. Thanks, Contessa. Still on deck. The polls are open as Elon Musk asks his more than 122 million Twitter followers, should he step down as head of Twitter? As you can see the countdown happening as I speak, or if you're listening, we have now three minutes, 47 seconds. We'll bring you the results when Worldwide Exchange returns. Today's big number, 95%. That's the drop in money raised through initial public offerings this year, compared to 2021, according to data by Renaissance Capital. Total IPO proceeds were $7.7 billion, the lowest level in over 30 years. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, 
The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Nineteen minutes past the hour, and we have some developing news out of Canada overnight. Let's get to NBC's Philip Mena for more on that. Philip, good morning. Hi, Contessa. Good morning. Yeah, breaking overnight in Canada, six people are dead after a mass shooting in Vaughan City. That's a part of Ontario province. Among the dead, the suspected gunman shot dead by police as they responded to reports of an active shooter at a condo building. Officials tell Canadian broadcaster CBC that a seventh victim is in the hospital with serious injuries but is expected to survive. Police say there's no further threat to the community and those who evacuated from the building have been allowed to return. The investigation is ongoing. North Korea is claiming that its latest launch was a final stage test for the country's first spy satellite. The Kim Jong-un regime has listed the tech as a top priority, aiming for a surveillance tool to monitor its rival, South Korea. And it was a World Cup final for the ages, a nail-biter between France and Argentina. Argentina held a 2-0 lead deep into the game until Kylian Mbappe scored two quick goals to tie it. In extra time, Mbappe equalized a Lionel Messi strike to force penalty kicks in the final for just the third time ever. Montiel can win the World Cup for Argentina with this kick. Yes! That's what he did. Argentina sinks the defending champs to win on penalties 4-2. It is the third World Cup title for Argentina. Their first since Diego Maradona did it back in 1986. It was quite a run, quite a game yesterday. Contessa, it was, back to you. It was amazing to watch. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And then, Philip, I went into Times Square at the holidays. What possessed me? But ran into the big Argentina celebration at the crossroads of the world. It was incredible to be there. Just amazing. Yeah, if you can't be in Qatar or yeah. in Buenos Aires, hey, that's the place that's to be. Right. And celebrate with them. All right, Philip Mena, thank you for the news update. Appreciate that. The January 6th Select Committee is set to release the first parts of its final report on the attack on the U.S. Capitol later today. That could include criminal referrals to the Justice Department against former President Trump. NBC's Bree Jackson joins us now. Bree. NBC has learned that the January 6th committee will refer criminal charges for former President Donald Trump and several Republican members of Congress. I think there's sufficient evidence to, to charge the president. This is someone who uh, tried to interfere with a joint session, uh, even inciting a mob to attack the Capitol. Um, if that's not criminal, then, uh, then I don't know what is. The referrals carry no legal weight, but they will ask that the Justice Department pursue charges, including obstructing an official proceeding, conspiracy to defraud the government, and inciting or assisting an insurrection. DOJ's job is a little bit different. They'll have to determine whether there is admissible evidence in court that could prove any of these charges beyond a reasonable doubt. Panel members revealed the committee also plans to refer four Republican members of Congress who defied congressional subpoenas. The committee finalized its plans during a closed-door meeting Sunday and will lay out details to the public this afternoon. Stay tuned for the hearing. We will have a vote on referrals, um, as well as uh, uh, approving our overall report. 
Former President Trump blasted the Committee on Social Media over the weekend, calling them, quote, thugs and scoundrels. The Trump campaign says they will have more to say after referrals are made public. And on Wednesday, the January 6th committee plans to release its final report, a lengthy eight-chapter report detailing its findings. Contessa? So, Brie, we're hearing the January 6th committee may actually preview some of those report details today. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. According to a select committee aide, an executive summary of the report is expected to be released, as well as more details on the referrals mm -hmm. mentioned. Additional information about witnesses who testified in front of the committee is also expected. All right, Brie Jackson reporting from Washington. Brie, thank you for that. Straight ahead, banking on a Santa rally. Why my next guest says, ho, ho, hold on to your cash for now. And if you haven't already, follow the podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, you can check us out on Apple, on Spotify, or other podcast apps, normally with Brian Sullivan at the helm. Well, it looks like stocks are looking for some holiday cheer following a second straight week of losses. Futures are higher, heading toward the open. China's COVID surge intensifying as officials warn of oncoming waves of infections. The latest is Beijing looks to pivot from its aggressive policies around the virus. And should he stay or should he go? Elon Musk asks the question. He's taking it to the people. Should he step down as CEO of Twitter? His poll on the matter closes. And it's Monday, December 19th. You're watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Contessa Brewer in for Brian Sullivan on this Monday morning. Let's get right to how the markets are shaping up. You have the stocks coming off a mostly lower session Friday. Major averages posting their first back-to-back -back losing weeks since late September. Futures right now green across the board. You've got the S&P 500 uh, future change up in the te low teens to the Dow Jones Industrials. It looks like we're heading for an implied opening up 100 points higher and the Nasdaq implied opening up 43 points. Let's check the bond market now. And the 10-year yield remains well off the highs that we hit back in October. Right now, you're seeing the 10-year note yielding 3.522%. The two-year T-note turning negative now with a yield of 4.2%, essentially. In energy, oil coming off its worst day since December 7th. The WTI this morning, though, is higher by almost a percentage point, and Brent is also up a percentage point. But boy, look at Nat Gas. It's off by six and a third percent. To that developing story now, Elon Musk's Twitter poll. I mean, by the way, he was at the World Cup in Qatar, uh, Qatar, I guess. We have now been instructed to change our pronunciation. We're going back and forth. But now he's asking, should I step down as the head of Twitter? I will abide by the results of this poll. The uh, poll closed shortly, and right now 57% say he should step aside. Let's bring in more from Steve Kovac. Uh, Steve, first of all, He's not winning rave reviews about how he's handling Twitter. What do you think of this poll? Yeah, just this weekend, he made this decision to ban people who were putting links out to rival social networks. Uh, that didn't go over well. And within, I don't know, just several hours, he already reversed that decision. So this poll, look, he's done this before since taking over Twitter, making decisions via 
uh, Twitter polls, whether or not to unban people previously banned, especially pre, uh, former President Donald Trump was one of them that he allowed back on. And uh, yeah, he loves to tweet Vox Populi, Vox Day, whenever uh, these polls end, and then he does it. So maybe he does. It but then again, we know Elon is really good at saying one thing and doing the exact opposite. Okay, so. but he says he's going to abide by this. I, I, my... My reaction when I see this news is, one, this is exactly what a lot of investors say in Tesla, or maybe his employees at the um, Boring Company want to see a refocus on the real business at hand and not this pet side project. However, asking whether you should step aside from leading your $44 billion investment based on a social media poll seems crazy. Yeah, I'm sure his lending partners aren't probably super happy about this. They invested or they backed him in this transaction with the idea that he was singularly the only person out there who could turn Twitter around and make it different, make it better, make it this so-called super app. But to your point about Tesla, let's look at what Tesla shares have been doing since he first got involved in Twitter back in April. Uh, it's down about over 50 percent. And then just since he took over at the end of October, it's down about 30 percent. So Tesla shareholders are but looking look at, at early this. trading. Look at, yep, there look we at go. what's happening yeah. with the early trade right now. Tesla shares up 4.6 percent. And maybe that's directly related to this poll, which appears that people are saying he's going to step down. To so. this point about whether someone else, uh, he says nobody else wants to come in and reform Twitter. Do you think that's accurate? Well, from the beginning, as even when he was semi-serious before he tried to back out of this deal, he said, I'm not going to be the permanent CEO of Twitter. Yeah. The idea all along was he would do it for a little bit, find someone to take over and run with it while he focuses on Tesla and his other companies. Even more importantly, in terms of business strategy, there was just an, a, literally 12 hours ago, the stories came out of that um, alternate social media platforms yes, yeah. and any tweets that happen to mention, I don't know, Facebook, Meta, Instagram, and, Mastodon, whatever. Yeah. That, the, that it wasn't going to be permitted. Well, that's been a reverse yeah. course all of a sudden. It, this just seems like a bad way to lead a company. Yeah. I, and I think what everyone is learning right now, Contessa, is these are editorial decisions. Mm -hmm. You know, he took over this company, you know, as a free speech absolutist. Well, we're learning really quickly that that was never the intention does, here. Does his own brand and the sort of criticism he's publicly suffered now, does it harm him moving forward into other projects? I mean, if he's if he's going to lead Boring into a way that he's trying to sell um, a mass transit system the way that Las Vegas has embraced right. to other municipalities, does it harm him in doing that job moving forward? I don't know, because this is the attention is there's no such thing as bad attention with him. So as soon as like, look what we we're talking about earlier just now with Tesla shares going up on just the idea or the notion that he's going to be done being distracted at Twitter and put more focus on Tesla may be boring. But Tesla's really where the money is. Right. And that's right. where people want to see his focus. I, I, I. Boring is a company that I'm following closely yeah, in Vegas, because of right? what's yeah. happening in, in Las Vegas. But, but the other thing about Tesla is that in this, uh, in this particular era where we've seen tech under pressure, you pointed out the pressure on Tesla shares. Investors in Tesla want to see a return on that investment. What happens now? Right. And what well, we're looking what happens right now, it's, mm -hmm. it's just all about him. And so that's, that's what happens next is if he really does step down, then maybe shares go even higher. I mean, look, this is what we're up four and a half percent on Tesla. Just the idea that maybe he's kind of serious about this poll. So that tells you all you need to know about how that, that stock is valued. I miss saying what the uh, shares of Twitter are doing. To yeah, 
I know. Like really we, a we sad can't even, moment. We can't even this, measure right? it anymore. Yeah. Zero visibility into what's going on there. Steve Kovac, thank you so Thanks, much for Vanessa. joining us. Appreciate that. We'll be watching that throughout the day. Uh, all right. So coming up, continuing to feel the sting over sky high prices, new numbers on how big a bite Americans expect inflation to take out of their finances in 2023. Worldwide Exchange will be back in just a moment. All right, futures higher across the board in time now for your big money movers. Three stock stories of the morning. Shares of Sinclair Broadcast Group are falling in the pre-market trade after the New York Post reported bankruptcy is likely for Sinclair's Diamond Sports Group, which operates 21 regional sports networks. And you can see Sinclair is off 4.35% in the early trade. Too Simple is also down. It may announce this week that it's cutting its staff in half, according to people familiar with the matter who spoke to The Wall Street Journal. The self-driving truck startup had about 1,430 employees as of June. It's off now by more than 5%. And Mesa Air Group shares are higher following the airline's announcement. It's finalizing a deal to run regional flights for United Airlines and that it's ending its partnership with American Airlines and the early trade Mesa Air is up 2.5%. This has been a rough year for Americans' finances with inflation at a four-decade high and the Fed hiking rates, which in turn hikes borrowing costs for consumers, of course. Most people don't expect things to get better in the new year. About two-thirds of Americans don't see their personal finances improving in 2023, according to a new survey from Bankrate. Let's talk more about that with Greg McBride, who's the chief financial analyst at Bankrate. So, uh, Greg, why are people so pessimistic about what's coming down the pike? Well, inflation is really the reason. It stretched budgets and strained them to a significant extent here in 2022. We've seen reversal of favorable trends where we had seen debt going down and savings going up. Those have started to reverse. And so there's that overhang is really bleeding into how people feel about 2023. Inflation is the number one reason by more than a two to one margin over anything else why people say that they, their finances won't improve. Either they will stay the same or they'll get the wor- get worse. But inflation being the reason that they point to. In fact, they're blaming inflation. 63% of people say that's the reason why they don't think their finances will get better, far ahead of the failure of their elected representative, which was 29% stagnant wages or reduced outcome right here. What is the impact? I'm just curious. We were looking at gas prices that have come down and eased quite considerably since early since June when we saw them at their highs. Isn't that the thing that for most Americans matters when it comes to their pocketbooks? What did you get into specifics about what is making Americans feel poor? We did not get into the specifics in this poll. What we have seen in others, yes, gas prices, it really kind of smacks us in the face when we're driving down the road every day. But that inflation has been so pervasive and has been most pronounced in categories that are necessities. So even a little bit of letting up in gas prices, it doesn't ease those feelings of concern uh, about your finances and looking forward because of the fact that you're not feeling that relief when you go to the grocery store. You know, if you renewed your your lease in the last month or two, your rent went up in a significant way. So there's other pressures still very present at the household level, even with uh, a reversion in gas prices. Given what you're learning from this survey, Greg, how would you anticipate this breaking down across sectors going into 2023? Because if you look at, say, for instance, the third quarter earnings reports, from retailers versus travel companies, from, you know, the companies that I follow in Las Vegas and record results quarter after quarter after quarter, even as retailers say we're starting to see some pullback. 
How do you think that translates into the first quarter, the first half of 2023? There has been this well-publicized shift from goods to services. And so when the retailers, when they fall short of, of expectations, when they say they're seeing consumers pull back, that is a little bit of a different tune than what we've seen on the services side in many cases because of that, whether it's pent-up demand uh, or you know people just doing the things that they haven't been able to do in holiday seasons past. Uh, we, we're not seeing that same type of pullback on the services side. You also have this K-shaped economy where the fortunes of some have continued to improve while the fortunes of others have continued to deteriorate. So you, know, you, you do have spending uh, in the upper income levels that isn't taking place at the lower income levels. I would expect that in 2023, if the economy does soften, as so many economists are forecasting, that even on the services side, you're going to see some pullback. If inflation is such a, a, a problem for the people who answered your survey, for American consumers in general, um, how do you come down on this back and forth about whether the Fed is being too hawkish, too aggressive, in its plan to keep hiking rates and getting a handle on inflation when there are so many uh, watchers who say, look, we're, we're already seeing uh, deflationary signs popping up. A year ago at this time, consumer price index on a year-over-year basis was up 7.1%. Last week, the November CPI up 7.1%. So we really haven't made any traction. Yes, we've kind of uh, seen a little bit of a pullback from what had been the peak over 9%. There is a more positive trajectory now. So there are some encouraging signs, but it's still at a very high level. And the Fed painted themselves into a corner. They got a late start. They stuck to that inflation is transitory script way too long. And even once they got started, it took them a while to really get revved up. And so then they had to play catch up and make those supersized rate hikes uh, throughout much of uh, the last several months. So dialing back that pace now, I think, is a reflection of the fact that they've gotten interest rates to the point where they can be a bit of a headwind on the economy. But they can't move to the sidelines because inflation, even with a positive trajectory, is still running quite high. We just have a story out on NBC that uh, that car repossessions are up, that people who could afford $500 or $600 monthly car payments a year or two ago now can no longer do that because you might be paying far more for what you uh, are paying or what it costs to heat your home or, or the like. I'm curious, are you more concerned about what's happening with Americans and their credit or are you more concerned about housing? Are you more concerned about, about employment? Which area of the uh, um, consumer economy are you particularly focused on? You know, at this point, I think the strain is going to be on credit just because of the budget pressure. I mean, you know, the employment market is still very, very strong. Uh, income is coming in. And, and those that are working, you know, they're, they're, they're good about paying their bills. But if the economy softens, you start to see unemployment go up, you're going to see those credit concerns start to spread. You're going to see more delinquencies and more defaults. I think what we're seeing in the auto sector with those monster seven and eight hundred dollar month payments, particularly for consumers with weaker credit, kind of a harbinger of what what might come if the economy does uh, roll over and move into recession sometime in twenty twenty. Greg McGride, it's great of you to join us so bright and early on a Monday. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Contessa. Before we wrap up a worldwide exchange, some upgrades and downgrades to flag. Stiefel downgrading waste management, lowering its rating and price target. Stiefel shifting the company from a buy to a hold, cutting its price target to $171 from 185 
It says it's free cash flow growth outlook over to sustainable investments. There you can see waste management year to date down just 3%, though. Goldman Sachs naming Solar Edge Tech and First Solar as some of its top picks for 2023. In a new note this morning, Goldman noting the pair are still well below peak levels hit back in 2021. You're seeing it just about flat in extended trading. On deck, stocks looking for signs of a Santa rally heading into the Christmas holiday. Our market panel lays out whether there should be any cheer for investors in the trading week ahead. You can see right now, futures are green across the board. That's always a nice way to start a Monday. If you haven't already, you can follow the podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everyone. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. Six stories you may have missed as we close in on the 6 o'clock hour. Here we go. Sam Bankman-Fried is due back in court this morning. Sources tell CNBC he will waive his right to fight extradition, essentially paving the way for federal authorities to secure his return to the United States. L3 Harris Technologies is buying Aerojet Rocketdyne for $4.7 billion. That deal comes after Lockheed Martin pulled out of its own bid for Aerojet over antitrust issues. You're seeing Rocketdyne now up half a percentage point in the extended trading and L3 Harris off by a percent and a half. Toyota's president casting doubts about making big bets on electric vehicles. The automaker's chief says he's among the silent majority questioning whether EVs should be pursued exclusively. Toyota off by a percent and a half in the early trade. China caught in the grip of a major COVID-19 outbreak, one that's leading to widespread shortages of medical supplies and exposing what some describe as Beijing's lack of preparation following its zero COVID policy rollback. We'll be watching this uh, as it develops. A prominent activist group is calling on ExxonMobil, Chevron, BP, and Shell to cut emissions more aggressively this decade to be consistent with Paris Climate Accord goals. And there you can see all of those stocks up a percent or so in the early trade. The sequel to 2009's Avatar fell short of expectations in its opening weekend. It pulled in $134 million domestically versus the $175 million that industry analysts had expected. James Cameron says he needs to make $2 billion on this in order to break even. I saw it. Count my 100 bucks in. Gearing up for the week ahead, today we get the latest look at the housing sector with a fresh read on home builder sentiment. Tuesday, we get quarterly results from General Mills, FedEx, and Nike. We'll also keep an eye on the latest bankruptcy hearing for FTX. And we also get a monetary policy decision from Japan's central bank. More earnings on tap Wednesday, this time from Micron and Rite Aid, and also more housing data with existing home sales figures. Thursday, it's a double dose of econ data with the weekly initial jobless claims and real GDP figures. And we wrap it all up on Friday with durable goods new home sales, and consumer sentiment figures before we head into the Christmas weekend. Congress has until the end of the week to reach a deal to fund the federal government, and of course, we'll be watching for that as well. A lot to digest this week as the markets look to shake off last week's losses. Futures right now green across the board. You can see the S&P indicated that it will open up by almost 15 points. The Dow Jones uh, up by more than 100 points, and 
the Nasdaq indicated with an opening 54 points higher. The major indices coming off their second straight week of losses with tech once again leading the drop down 2.7 percent. For more on the trading week ahead, let's bring in Ivory Johnson, founder of Delancey Wealth Management and a member of the CNBC Financial Advisor Council, and James Kakmak, partner of and portfolio manager at Clockwise Capital. It's good to see you both today. Ivory, let me start with you. What's on tap for you? Where are you looking this week to see indications of how we start 2023? Well, you know, I'm just looking at you know, the high cost of capital, uh, the high cost of living. Uh, then you have liquidity, which is a real important one, as defined by M2, is, is really collapsing. Uh, and then if, if the, a big data point is what's happening with wages. I think the employee cost index is up to 5.6% year-over-year basis. And all this is really bad for corporate profits going forward. And so those are some of the data points I look for um, as I said, start to outlook uh, in, into 2023. James, a lot of the commentary that we're getting from these companies, too, mm-hmm. has been very circumspect. Can you give me a sense of what you're looking for and whether companies right now are in a wait and see mode? Sure. I mean, the way we're looking at it is this is kind of the mother of all mean reversions. You know, COVID pulled forward a lot of demand for these tech companies. And to get back to their sustainable growth curves that we had pre-COVID, you know, growth rates had to fall. But what the Fed has effectively done has lowered that trough of how low those growth rates are going to go. So right now, you know, there's a there's dislocation in the market in many respects, but there's also dislocation in the fact that, you know, there's um, many investors and, and, and the media as well, you know, talking about how much of this pressure that we're seeing is our secular related to these tech companies versus cyclical ones. And we think it's primarily aired on the cyclical side because of the Fed-induced uh, recession that's happening right now. So we think that if you can still be surgical about how you pick the companies, the, the, the best and brightest owner-operated and, 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 and cash flow-generating companies, you know, this is generational opportunities right now in investing. But unfortunately, um, the volatility uh, won't cease until the Fed lets up, and that's not likely to be any You know, it's interesting, Ivory. The Wall Street Journal points out that uh, U.S. equity, mutual, and ETF have had inflows of $100 billion net inflows this year at a time when hedge funds and mutual funds are increasing their cash positions uh, and they are cutting their equity positions. Who's right right now when we're seeing the, the retail investors sort of thinking this might be a good time? We might, we might go ahead and have a generational opportunity to buy into an Amazon or a Meta. Well, I think investors have been conditioned to think that you always buy the dip because the Fed has always been there with the Fed put by lowering interest rates. So what that assumption is, they're assuming that CPI is going to go from 1.2 percent all the way up to 8.1. And because the Fed gets it back to, let's just say, 6 percent, the Fed's going to pivot and cut interest rates. Uh, it's not a function of what will or will not happen, but I think that outlook is is probably unlikely. And so I would lean towards the, 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 the hedge funds by having more cash because I don't see the Fed being able to pivot and cut interest rates the way they have for the last the better part of the last three decades. Uh, on this week that we head into Christmas, James, are there particular sectors that you would expect to see movement? Are we, are we going to see, I mean, as, as people position their portfolios before the year end, are there particular areas yeah. where you're looking? Honestly, not so much. I mean, we're 
kind of playing defense now heading into New Year's. There's a lot of tax cost harvesting going on, and and um, you know even the the best names are you know being sold down. Um, but what, you know really it comes down to how much volatility are you willing to withstand? You know if you are willing to withstand it, you should go in and go in big. And uh, but if you cannot, and I agree with uh, your other guest here, is that. Um, it, it, it's tough out there and the volatility because the Fed will not let up. I mean, they're focused on, you know, the unemployment rate. And the only way you bring the unemployment rate down is to break the economy. And, and that appears, if you believe Jay Powell's words, that appears what they're going to be trying to do. But if you have a long-term view, you know, we love Amazon. You know, we think Meta has opportunities here. If you, if you can withstand even more volatility than that, we've led companies like Snowflake, CrowdStrike, you know, these are ones that are uh, have multi-baggers over the long term, but the next six months is likely to be choppy. I, I, and when we're talking about unemployment right now, and certainly labor costs are a top concern for the companies that we're hearing from, uh, James, do you think that there is a, a jeopardy that by trying to move the unemployment rate higher uh, a bit, that there is a, a real danger to the American economy in the short term that we head into a more severe re- recession than what even experts are prepared for. Well, I mean, we were naturally going to go back to 2020 levels if the Fed did nothing. But now the Fed has basically pushed us back to 2019. And how far they go, I mean, which Fed president you believe, I'm not sure. You know, do we go to 9%? I, I have no idea. But um, at the end of the day, you know, the Fed also likes to, you know, say, oh, look, now we can fix the economy because we have tools to fix it. I mean, Jay Powell says that explicitly. If we break it, we'll fix it. No problem. So, I I mean, if the Fed just got out of the way, we'd be fine. Ivory, I'm going to leave the last word for you because you really, uh, more cash, more gold, you're really into a defensive position. Yeah, because, look, 70 percent of our economy is consumer spending. I mean, so you look at the consumer credit balances, they're up 15 percent year over year. Uh, The savings rate is at pre-pandemic lows of zero right now. So the, the consumer is tapped out. Uh, and we haven't even seen the layoffs yet. So as, as as James was saying, that's a lagging indicator. So once the layoffs come, that's just accelerates some of the consumer slowdown. Uh, and don't forget, I mean, real, real earnings, I mean, earnings growth was 87% second quarter of last year. It's at 3.7%. So earnings are collapsing and that's before the layoffs start to happen. Ivory, it's great to talk to you. James, thank you for joining me. Both have a great Monday. Thank you. Thank you. We are watching some breaking news here. The European Union is accusing Meta of breaking antitrust rules, saying that Facebook's classified ad business distorts competition. Again, this news just coming in from the European Union. You can see Meta platforms off two-tenths of a percent, so not much of a reaction to this uh, out of Europe, a story that you can be sure we will continue to follow throughout the day here on CNBC. That does it for us on Worldwide Exchange. I'll be back with you again tomorrow. We'll do it all again, but Spock Box is next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Go spread the word. When you get a fresh, hot McCrispy from McDonald's and you can feel the heat coming through the bag, don't try to wait till you get home. Always respect hot chicken. The McCrispy, only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.